2 Samuel chapter 15 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 15 will continue. We've just got a few more weeks now. Uh, just a couple more lessons that we'll probably look at from the life of David. Uh, we're kind of drawing to the end. But today we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 15. After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land. And everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now it came to pass after forty years, then that could be four years, that word could be either way, and some of your translations may say four, which actually makes more sense. It came to pass after four years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men, invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Amnon continually increased in number. Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him. And all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, six hundred men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Where are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner, and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy. And truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai and the Gittites and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. 
If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Jaime as your son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, and wept as he went up, and he had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, there was Hushai the archite coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Indeed they have there with them their two sons, Ahimeaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Father God, thank you for the word. I pray this morning, as we look at a very simple lesson from this, I pray that, uh, Father, you'll speak to our hearts. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, I pray. Uh, forgive me for anything that might hinder my usefulness this morning. Uh, just help me, Lord, to be what you want me to be today, and use me as you would see fit. Help me to say only those things that need said, and not those things I ought not and just bless this, your word, to our hearts. I pray, Lord, when we say amen at the end of this service, that we will all know that we have heard from God today, that you have been our teacher. So speak, Father. We are here, our hearts open, our minds open, our ears open. Speak, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse number one says, After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. We come now to the very sad story in the Bible of the betrayal of David by his own son, Absalom. And as I read that, as I just think about that topic, I wonder this morning, have you ever experienced betrayal? Have you ever been betrayed? Betrayal has been described as Quote, the treacherous exposing or deceiving of people by those they formerly trusted. It is usually associated with an enemy masquerading as a friend or with a broken or abused relationship. Absalom betrayed his father, David. You ever been betrayed? You ever experienced betrayal? If so, you are far from alone, for history is filled with examples of betrayal. Do a little research on the subject, go out and Google the word betrayal, and you'll find that there are a lot of names that always bubble to the top of the top ten lists of betrayals down throughout history. Probably if I pulled the crowd, some of these names would come up. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg always come to the top of that list. Julius Caesar's violent assassination at the hands of the Senate. Uh, 
and the immortal words, a tu brute, when he looked at his own friend, Brutus, who was one of the conspirators and who had betrayed him. Benedict Arnold, Ar- uh, Aldrich Ames, Jane Fonda, all of these are people who would come to the list of betrayals. And today, some would say we have some in our country right now. Uh, some would disagree whether they're betrayers or not, but to people like Eric Snowden and Julian Assange, founder of WikiLeaks and the paper a lot lately, all might be considered examples of betrayers. But you know, betrayal also figures prominently in Scripture. How about Samson? Samson, who was betrayed by Delilah. Judges chapter 16 says, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Samson betrayed by Delilah. And of course, betrayal certainly figures prominently already in the story of David, does it not? In chapter 11, we certainly saw where David was on the other side of this equation, where David and Bathsheba betrayed Uriah. And just last week, we talked about Amnon and his betrayal by both Jonadab and Absalom. So betrayal figures prominently. There are other betrayers, betrayals in the Bible, which uh, we don't have time to talk about today, but you can study on your own. How about the betrayal of Naboth by Jezebel? Well, that's a good one. Read about that one sometime. That's in Second uh, Samuel, or no, First Kings chapter 21. Or Amasa's betrayal by Joab. There's another good one for you to look up sometime. That's the one that's in 2 Samuel chapter 20. Joab, of course, was David's general. Now, I, I always find that story mildly amusing. He walked up to his enemy, Amasa. And in the King James Bible, it says that as he walked up to him, he said, Art thou in health, my brother? And then he proceeded to stab him to death. It was a great example of a betrayal. Art thou in health, my brother? Betrayal is a very real part of history. And the fact is, it's a very real part of the Bible. And it's something we all need to be prepared for in our Christian walk. David was here betrayed by his own son, Absalom. We last saw Absalom. Just last week, we saw him murdering his own brother, Amnon. And now here we see him politicking and stealing away the hearts of the people. Using his wicked influence to convince them to turn against his own father, God's anointed king. And the one that they had previously Praised as their king. And by the way, there's a lesson here, which really isn't the the main lesson I want to talk about here this morning, but there is a lesson here in this. Did you see what he did? He managed to get the majority to follow him. You know, there's a fallacy in American thinking that the majority is always right. And believe me, that's a fallacy. That's certainly not a biblical truth. We live in a day and age when people will get on the news media and they will say that, uh, you know, the majority of Americans believe and therefore The implication is, it must be correct. But my Bible tells me that if there's one man standing up holding a Bible, and this Bible contradicts what the majority says, that man is right. God is the one who is right. The word of God is the one who is right, regardless of what the majority says. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans? He said, indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Or as the New Living Translation would render that, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. He got the majority to follow And they were wrong. But I digress. That's not what we want to talk about this morning. What we want to talk about this morning is the fact David was betrayed by his son Absalom. And there are some lessons we can learn about betrayal. About when we are betrayed. Or when we face betrayal in our lives. Number one. 
The first lesson I would suggest, you might have to deal with betrayal. You might be betrayed. You know, when a person gets saved, some wonderful things happen with respect to interpersonal relationships in their lives. We find ourselves having some relationships we never would have dreamed of. We find ourselves suddenly surrounded by new brothers and new sisters in Christ. We find ourselves having this wonderful new relationship with God, our Father, Jesus, our Savior, the Holy Spirit, our comforter and helper. And we think all these wonderful new interpersonal relationships take place. And yet, one of the things that new Christians struggle with when they first come to Christ is the fact that suddenly there are other relationships that aren't so good. And suddenly there are those who have enmity toward them now because they are a believer. Sometimes they might come from family members who are not believers and don't understand and disagree with the decision they made to trust Christ. Sometimes it might come from former friends with whom they used to spend so much time in activities that now they're not going to do because they're saved. Peter talked about that. Peter talked about it in 1 Peter chapter 4. He said, We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Speaking evil of you. And sometimes new Christians find former friends speaking evil of them, turning against them because of that. Sometimes the animosity toward believers just simply comes from the lost world. We ought not to be too surprised about that, but sometimes young Christians are surprised to find that the world might even hate Christians. We don't think about this a lot in America, but there's other parts of the world where we certainly certainly hear about it. I just read this news article just, just a couple of days ago. It's dated July 11th, so couldn't have read it too far along. But this took place in Uzbekistan. And let me just read a little bit of this. It says, in a case where a prosecution was brought for meeting without state permission in a home, a member of a congregation in Karshai named Svetlana Andrechenko was fined 50 times the minimum monthly salary. Can you imagine that? You hold a Bible study in your home, and they fine you 50 times your monthly salary. The fine followed a raid by about 15 officers on the church's Sunday morning meeting for worship in her home on the 21st of April. The raid was led by a National Security Service secret police officer whose name appeared to be Alisher. During the raid, police searched Andrzejczenko's home and even children's prams and pushchairs looking for religious literature. They seized 22 books, two religious notebooks, 12 exercise books, 66 postcards, two notebooks, nine discs, 18 posters, and one audio cassette of religious content, according to court documents. Police then loaded all those presents, 78 adults and children, into buses and took them to the police station for questioning, where they were held for more than three hours. Officers swore at them and even threatened to shoot them. We don't find that so unusual when we hear about it in other countries, but you know what? It's becoming more and more common in our country. That same hatred toward Christianity is beginning to surface more and more toward us here. Have you noticed that? I just read a couple of weeks ago about a young lady in a college. She wore a cross. Probably if we go, I see a cross right there. If we went around this room, we would probably find many of us are wearing crosses this morning. She wore a cross to college, and she was told she could not do that because it was offensive to others. Who would have believed that that would have happened in the United States of America? Our own American government recently told the, uh, the military chaplains that they can't talk about Christ anymore. 
What? Who would have ever believed we would live in a time when our government would tell preachers that they could no longer preach the gospel? That's not talking about something that's future. That's something that's now. That's something that's here. And when believers, especially young ones, are confronted with these betrayals, it's sometimes hard for them to understand. But the Bible makes clear that we can expect it. That as Christians, it's something that we should expect. It is part of the Christian experience. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24? And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Isn't that what he meant when he warned that betrayal might even come from within our own families? Matthew chapter 10 and verse 36, he said, A man's enemies will be those of his own household. And so the first lesson from David and from this story of Absalom's betrayal of David, I think, is a very general one. It's not unusual. It's not unique. It's something that we, as believers, can expect. And now I don't want that to cause consternation. I don't want that to cause stress. I don't want that to cause people to say, oh, my goodness, and throw up their hands. Keep listening, because the end of the message is going to point out why that's not a concern to us. But nonetheless, it's something we need to recognize as reality, especially Young, young Christians who are just recently come to Christ. Second lesson I see here is that when betrayed, we need to keep believing and keep trusting. Look at verse 25. When betrayed, we need to keep believing and keep trusting. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me. As seems good to him. You know, I think we might paraphrase David's word there. I think here's what he's saying. I think he was saying, if God wants me to be king, then I will be king. If he does not want me to be king, then I trust him to do whatever he chooses to do with me. When betrayed, keep believing, keep trusting. David was always this wonderful picture, was he not, of a man trusting God no matter what comes. Betrayed, trust God. Keep believing. Keep trusting. That's what David did here, and that's what David did all of his life. I wonder, when was the last time you were in a really, really, really bad situation? And your response was, I trust God no matter what he says, no matter what he does. When was the last time that took place with you? Can you say like Job in Job chapter 13, in the midst of horrible troubles, and yet saying, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? You have that level of trust. Can you sing like Habakkuk, who said, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. When was the last time? Really bad situation. And you said, I will trust God. Whatever he chooses to do with me. You know, some folks are tripped up by trouble. Some folks, trouble, will trip up their walk with God. Cancer comes their way, completely derails their faith. Marital problems surface. And as the relationship with their spouse crumbles, so does their relationship with God. Financial trouble comes along and their walk with God goes south along with their pocketbook. But you know what? Anybody can trust God when things are good. Anybody can trust God when you're on the mountain. That doesn't even take faith. That's nothing. It's the ones, it's the times when things are going poorly that our faith is proven either true or false. It's when 
trouble comes, it's when betrayal comes. God asked Jeremiah one time, the prophet Jeremiah, he said, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? You've probably all heard the story of Horatio Spafford and his wonderful hymn that we sing so many times. This story's been told so many times, you probably could quote it back to me. He wrote it as well with my soul. And of course you know that he had had some terrible things happen in his life. The great fire of Chicago in October of 1871 destroyed him financially, wiped him out. He had been a very wealthy man and he had nothing after that. And very shortly thereafter, his wife and four daughters were traveling across the ocean and there was a collision and all four of the daughters were killed. And his wife, Anna, survived and sent him what is now a very famous telegram that just said two words on it, saved, alone. Shortly thereafter, he was traveling across the ocean himself to meet her. And his ship came to the place where that other ship had gone down. The Holy Spirit inspired him there to write those words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. You see, David suffered a terrible betrayal, but it did not shake his faith in God. So when we are betrayed, keep believing, keep trusting. Number three, when we are betrayed, keep praying. Look at verse 31. Verse 31, then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now this man had been one of David's uh, counselors, one of his uh, one of his close confidants. He had been trusty, he had uh, trusted and trustworthy. It must have been a grievous loss to David when he found him uh, amongst the conspirators and taking part in the betrayal. And yet David's response when he was informed of that defection was he prayed. He prayed. It might seem a little thing, but in actuality, it's a constant refrain all throughout the life of David. He prayed when something went wrong. When things were tough, he prayed. When friends and family betrayed, he prayed. So the lesson for us is when betrayed, keep praying. Now, I confess to you that if I look back over my life at times when I thought people had betrayed me in some way, I have to confess that prayer might not have been my first response probably true with many of us. There are other responses that come to mind when somebody does us wrong. But it ought to be, shouldn't it? We ought to pray for the Ahithophels and the Absaloms in our life. We ought to pray for God's help when such strong adversaries arise in our path. Jesus said, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I know we talk a lot about prayer in this in this church, and so I, I didn't want to belabor that point very much, but as I was thinking through that, and that sentence was kind of going over in my mind, we talk a lot about prayer, we talk a lot about, a lot about prayer, I thought, yeah, you're right, we do, we talk a lot about prayer. You know, I'm guessing if we were to compare our attendance on our midweek prayer meetings to other churches, we'd probably have reason to congratulate ourselves, and we could probably say, you know what, we don't do too bad. I don't know, we have 15 or 20 people, something like that, to show up on Wednesday nights for a prayer meeting. And uh, we could say, you know what, that's 10, 10, 15, maybe even 20% of our normal Sunday morning attendance. That's pretty good if you were to talk with other churches about what they have 
if they even have a midweek prayer meeting. And we might say, that's, that's not bad. But wait a minute, what about if we turn that around? And what about if we'd say that the other way? What about if we say 90% of our church has never shown up on a Wednesday night prayer meeting? Or even 80% or 75%, would we be congratulating ourselves then? And I thought about it, I thought, you know what, right, we talk a lot about prayer. We give an invitation at the conclusion of every service in this place. And you know, we give that invitation for several reasons. One is because we believe in a public confession of faith. We believe that if a person is being led to trust Christ as Savior, we want to give them the opportunity to publicly profess that. And so we open up the service at the end. But we also make the offer for folks to just come pray. Sometimes we just need to pray. Sometimes we have things in our life and there's brothers and sisters that would come and pray with us. And we need someone to come. And so we have that public time, that concluding time. And yet how often do we see folks taking advantage of that? Reminds me of a story I was sharing with somebody just the other day. Silly story, dumb story. I'm sure it's not true. But nonetheless, I'll share it with you. Supposedly there was a little old lady who had a, she was sick, she wasn't feeling well, she had a head cold. And as she got ready for church one Sunday morning, she realized that she was out of Kleenex. So she stuffed her old toilet paper in her purse and she went to church. Just in case she got a runny nose, she wanted to be prepared. She did just fine until she got to the end of the service. She hadn't had any trouble, she hadn't had to use that at all. But at the end of the service, she started feeling like she needed to blow her nose. And so she reached into her purse and grabbed that roll of toilet paper and then proceeded to fumble it all over the place and dropped it on the floor. She was sitting in the very back, about where Josh is sitting right now. And to her great horror, that roll of toilet paper began to unroll and went all the way to the front of the auditorium. It was during the invitation that this was taking place. The pastor didn't say anything. He didn't worry about it at all. At the end of the service, he said amen. And she got up quickly trying to gather up this long piece of toilet paper. And people were giggling at her across the thing. And she got all the way to the front holding this big wad of toilet paper. And she looked at the pastor and she said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. He said, don't apologize for that. That's the first time anything's come forward in this church in ten years. And we talk a lot about prayer. But I wonder when we need to pray, is it our first reaction? I guess that's the point. Is it our first reaction? Do we really pray when we ought to? Do we really pray when we need to? When someone has betrayed us, when we're going through a difficult time, do we pray? David did. His first reaction, he prayed. Number three, when betrayed, remember the one who was betrayed for you. Remember the one who was betrayed for you. You know, at the beginning of our study, we mentioned a bunch of biblical examples of betrayal. Did anybody notice one particular one I didn't mention? I didn't mention the most important one. I didn't mention the greatest and worst betrayal in all of history and in all of the Bible. Jesus, your Savior and mine, suffered betrayal for you and for me. Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Matthew chapter 26, verse 16, from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Matthew 26, 24, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Matthew 26, 25, Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. Matthew 26, 46, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Verse 48, his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Amazing how many times that word is used in reference to our Savior. And so when we feel betrayed, we need to remember the one who was betrayed for you. 
and Farai. Finally, number, where am I now? Number four, number five, whatever. When betrayed. Remember this. And this is why I say we don't need to fear this fact. We don't need to be concerned about the fact that the world might betray us. No, because when we're betrayed, we need to remember there is one who will never betray you. Never. His own son Absalom had betrayed David. Ahithophel, his, his trusted counselor, had betrayed David. The vast majority of the people who had sung his praises in the past had betrayed David. But God had never betrayed David. And God will never betray you. The Bible says, nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Jehovah the Lord is everlasting strength. Paul said, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And so we can rejoice and know that no matter what trials come our way, no matter what might happen in the way of betrayal as we're talking here today, no matter what others might do to us, God will never betray us. God will never let us down. God will always be true. And so we see in this story of David, we see that it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. We get down to the very last verse and we see that Absalom came into Jerusalem. David was betrayed by his own son Absalom, by many of his most trusted men, even by the the majority of the people that had once praised him as king. Things looked bleak. And yet if we kept reading, and I encourage you to do that because the story of Absalom doesn't end here. It goes on for several more chapters. If we kept reading, we'd say God wasn't done with David yet. Read the story, you'll find out that Absalom was killed in a battle and the kingdom was restored to David. And he once again was on the throne in Jerusalem. But at the end of this chapter, all that's yet future. He doesn't know that. At the end of this chapter, everything looks bleak. At the end of this chapter, he is just sitting there betrayed. And he teaches us those truths. When betrayed, keep praying. When betrayed, keep trusting. When betrayed, remember the one who was betrayed for you. And when betrayed, remember there is one who will never betray you.